guys, it's Savvy Sabs, and I have a special guest with me today. Her name is Ella McDonald. She is the Communications Director for ACT ON Mass. Welcome, Ella. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for coming. All right, so before we get started, can you tell everyone what exactly is ACT ON Mass? Absolutely. So Act on Mass um, is the leading organization in Massachusetts that's fighting for more transparency and accountability in our state house. So we noticed that uh, Massachusetts has this really, really opaque state house, um, and it it um, really uh, blocks a lot of progressive legislation from getting through. So Act on Mass was founded in 2019. It's a fairly new org, uh, and we've been doing a lot of work to educate voters on what's happening in the state house, uh, to advocate for progressive issues, and to fight for transparency reforms that would make it so it's easier for constituents to know what's going on in their state house. Awesome. So one of the things that I saw on your website under the transparency items was that um, people might think that progressive policies are not getting through because of Governor Baker or mm -hmm. because people are not voting for progressive policies, but it says that that is actually not true. Can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. Yeah, I think this is a really, really key point, and it's something that I particularly noticed on the issue of climate. So I came into organizing through climate, uh, through work with Sunrise Movement, which is a movement fighting for green jobs and a livable future. And especially in a state like Massachusetts, we see that there is overwhelming support for comprehensive climate reform. Uh, all over the Commonwealth, uh, constituents want their representatives to pass comprehensive climate reform and act ahead of other states uh, on the climate crisis. So I think in a state like Massachusetts, it's really, really clear uh, that it's not it's not this lack of um, support for climate crisis for climate crisis legislation amongst constituents that's blocking change. And so that led me to think sort of, OK, if it's not constituents, what is it? Uh, I learned that in the Massachusetts State House uh, for the past 12 years up until this session, the House has failed to pass any comprehensive climate reform. And until this year, we were set on a track to get to 100% renewable energy by 2105. Uh, and now that now that has been brought down to 2090, and that's been sort of celebrated as a big win. Mm -hmm. As a climate organizer, that is still, I'm going to be 90 years old in 2090. And <laughs> that's not really acceptable. So I think on an issue like climate, it really, really shows us how there's this huge disconnect between the popular opinion of constituents and what's happening in our state house. And one of the main reasons for that is that we can't actually hold our representatives accountable to the way that they're voting in their committees. So, for example, there was there's been a bill uh, in this in the legislature for 100% renewable energy by 20 I believe it's by 2045 uh, that session after session has uh, never made its way out of committee. So session after session um, in darkness, our legislators uh, vote to send it to study um, or they vote it down. Um, and we without knowing how our representatives vote, there's this huge disconnect where my representative and representatives all across the Commonwealth will campaign on climate as a key issue. They'll talk about how much they support the Green New Deal, how much they are fighting for, for my generation's future. And then somebody somewhere is killing this climate legislation. And without transparency, we don't know who that is. So 
I really see the state house as this critical, critical place where climate legislation is getting held up. And there was actually a recent Brown study uh, that was showing that actually one of the like most significant barriers to passing climate legislation uh, in in Massachusetts is the state house and a lack of transparency. So that sort of uh, validated what we already knew to be true, which is that like they're just without this accountability for our representatives, we can't pass overwhelmingly popular legislation. Wow. So I, I can pretty much guarantee that most people in Massachusetts do not know that. Right. Absolutely. I Until maybe a year and a half ago when I started getting involved with like state house politics, I had no idea. I assumed that we knew how our legislators vote because that's how democracy works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that's also strategic, right? Uh, I think that's something that really motivated me to act on issues of transparency. I noticed that young people, uh, I mean, for the longest time, I felt like I didn't know enough to engage in politics, especially on a state level. I felt like I just wasn't paying attention enough or I was too stupid or I just like didn't understand what was happening. And over time, as I organized more and more, uh, I realized that that's actually quite strategic for our legislature, for our legislators to make information about the legislature inaccessible to constituents and especially young people. Because when young people don't feel empowered to act and just when people in general don't feel empowered to pay attention and engage in, in state house politics, it gives our legislators more power. Uh, so I started to realize that like, it wasn't necessarily my fault. I mean, I probably could have done more to like read the legislature's website and all that, but it's really not our fault that we don't know what's going on. It is incredibly, incredibly difficult to find information about what's happening in our legislature. Wow. Yes. Um, I want to get into some of the issues on um, that are on the website on a, a Act Mass uh, platform. So one of the issues is criminal justice. Massachusetts has some of the largest racial disparities in the country, and Massachusetts still has the mandatory minimum sen sentencing. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. And I'll preface this by saying that I am not um, an expert on this subject. I'm uh, new to a lot of the state level advocacy. Um, but yeah, this is definitely a huge, huge issue. Um, and another one that like, in a progressive state like Massachusetts, it's embarrassing that we are so behind on issues like criminal justice reform. I think, especially uh, just sort of seeing the way that this summer, uh, like this summer transpired and the huge, huge historic protests in Boston and across the state uh, for black lives. And then to see our legislature's response to that, which was a really, really watered down police reform bill uh, that was rushed through the legislature really fast. It was over a hundred pages of legislation that our legislators and constituents had less than 48 hours to read um, before it was voted on. Uh, I think just points back to this problem, right, of this huge gap uh, between what constituents believe and the values that constituents hold and what's happening uh, in our legislature. And it has enormous consequences for the criminal justice system, for policing, for black and brown communities across Massachusetts. And I know like Mass, especially Boston, Boston is one of the most, uh, the most uh, disparate state that one of the cities where like there's the biggest uh wealth gap between uh between white constituents and black constituents and just across the board i think people often think of massachusetts as a progressive state uh and like the reality is that we have enormous enormous disparities uh and our legislature is to blame for a lot of it 
Yeah, I do remember uh, the Boston Globe came out with that that study that they did it was a couple years ago mm-hmm. about the net worth of um, white Bostonians and black Bostonians. And it, it was just, just shocking. So for those who don't know, um, what they found is that the net worth of black Bostonians was $8. And the net worth of white Bostonians was like 250K, which is a huge, huge uh, difference. I actually didn't know until recently, um, someone had shared this on a group, on a Facebook group, that a lot of people think that Boston doesn't have a police brutality problem. And I, I think I was one of those people because you hear about it on the news, like with Chicago, New York, yeah. LA, you know, all the time. I didn't really hear about it on the news with Boston, but they had actually um, revealed that information to like our Facebook group. And I, I was shocked. This is something I've been reading a lot uh, about recently. Just, I think there's this interesting idea um, that is sort of deeply embedded in Massachusetts politics of uh, we are not the problem. And we, I think that is really, really fascinating. And it's a really dangerous idea that uh, that Massachusetts is this progressive haven where racism doesn't exist, uh, where like where all these progressive issues uh, are valued and enacted. Um, and I think it causes a lot of people to sort of just sort of sit back or to organize in other states to say, OK, Massachusetts is set. Uh, right, we have an 80% Democratic supermajority in our state house. So I'm going to go organize in New Hampshire, and I'm going to go organize in Iowa. I'm going to go organize in the South. But the reality is that we have huge, huge issues to deal with in Massachusetts, and police brutality is certainly one of them. Yeah. Um, so I know you mentioned the uh, climate change. Um, so another uh, issue that I saw on your site is that Massachusetts had a climate change bill but the bill was sent to a study. Yeah. Um, can you tell people why is it problematic when a bill is sent to a study? Absolutely. I think, yeah, this is something that uh, I didn't understand until, until a few months ago, really. And uh, when our legislators say that they're sending a bill to study, that means they voted in a committee essentially to delay a bill indefinitely. So And uh, when they say they're going to send a bill to study, it's essentially a death sentence. It means that they're going to delay action on it. Oftentimes, there's no real study happening. It's just a way of saying, we're not going to vote on this right now. And it's it's the strategy that is used to delay action on progressive issues. Uh, And it's happened year after year with climate. And I think there's a deep irony in uh, just if we look at climate change as this really urgent issue, right? Um, I mean, so many of these issues are really urgent, but when we're looking at like the 10 years we have left to really, really curb our global carbon carbon emissions to avoid the worst effects of climate change, uh, to year after year say, okay, we're just gonna push this off. We're gonna kick the can down the road a little further uh, on climate change. We're not ready to vote on this bill yet. Um, I think there's a deep irony in that. Um, And yeah, that's something that a lot of people uh, don't understand. And that's one of the things also that uh, when our legislators are voting in their committees, we don't know uh, when they vote to send things to study. Uh, we don't know who voted which way. We don't know who is voting to send these things to study. Uh, and that's a huge, huge problem. Uh, over in the normal legislative session, I think about half the bills are sent to study. So it's a huge, huge thing. Uh, and essentially what that means is those bills are, are just being pushed further down the road. Wow. 
very, very surprising. Yeah. Um, one of the other issues uh, was education funding. So I know that the state increased the budget, but um, looking at the website, it said that even though the state increased the budget, it doesn't keep up with the student population. Um, so funding would need to be adjusted. Uh, where is where is that at? Do you know if the state is trying to do that? Absolutely. So I know that last fall, uh, Act on Mass, along with uh, a lot of teachers unions, including the MTA and the AFT, uh, organized this really powerful and successful uh, campaign called Fund Our Future, uh, which brought $1.5 billion into our public school districts. And so there have been there have been a couple of like really big gains in the past couple of years. Uh, but I think overall our schools are extremely lacking in funding still and the lack of funding for schools uh is is a racial justice and is a is an economic justice issue because when there's not enough state funding going to our schools that means schools are left to rely on local property taxes to fund schools and that results in wealthier communities uh their property taxes are obviously uh they have lower property taxes and have um and like will have way more funding for their schools and it means that a lot of our schools that are in underserved regions uh don't have the funding they need yes indeed um i noticed uh when i went into boston public school system I was kind of shocked at some of the things that I saw in reference to resources. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say that is because everyone knows like Massachusetts is number one in the country for public education. Um, but I think what people don't realize is that's the state right. as a whole. That's not, you can still go into schools in, in, in Boston, in Lawrence, and you see like the disparities and you see that a lot of these schools are still under-resourced. And it seems like the solution <laughs> seems to be uh, let's make more charter schools. And I'm, I'm not like a, a fan of, of charter schools because kids have to test into it and right. they have to get in and then they only take basically the smartest kids from those schools to put them into the charter schools. So the other schools are left at the un or the other students are left at the underfunded schools. So I, I, I don't feel that charter schools is the answer, but for some reason they are continuing that and that's that's becoming a thing too. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, you make such a good point with Massachusetts being uh, sort of number one in public education. I think it, again, is this issue of framing. Massachusetts is also seen as one of the wealthiest, it's one of the wealthiest states with the highest GDP. And like, if we connect that back to the, the gap in net wealth between uh, between white Massachusetts uh, residents and black Massachusetts residents, we see a similar thing in the school system where we can look at it as like Massachusetts is number one in public education, or we can look at it as Massachusetts is one of the most unequal uh, states for education where there's this huge gap um, in funding for our schools. And uh, it's a huge, huge issue. And something else on the issue of education that I think is important, something that I learned recently. So I grew up in New Jersey and um, in, in uh, the public school system. And I remember my teachers had a really, really powerful teachers union. Uh, and would often go on strike uh, to like when their contracts weren't being renewed. Uh, like they, I think they're on strike right now with the school trying to rush them to reopen too fast. Um, I learned just a couple months ago that in Massachusetts, uh, teachers don't have the right to strike. It is actually illegal for teachers to go on strike. 
uh, <laughs> and I was kind of shocked to learn that. And I think um, that's especially sort of when we're looking at school reopening, uh, the fact that teachers don't have that bargaining power mm -hmm. uh, is really, really shocking to me. Uh, and uh, it definitely puts our public school system at a disadvantage. Definitely, um, I definitely agree on that. Now I know that the last issue I want to get to, and this one is my really, really big one here because I've, I've done like a video about this as well. Um, gentrification, mm -hmm. huge problem here in Massachusetts, especially in the Boston area. Can you talk a little bit about that? One of the biggest things I've been looking at is the eviction moratorium, uh, which uh, has been like so needed early on in the pandemic and which expired in October. Um, I think just during a pandemic, like so many people are so, so close uh, to losing their homes. Um, and like, we have a government that like right now really is valuing the, uh, the profit of landlords and of, um, of developers over people's rights to housing. And we've seen, I'm, I live in Somerville and it's, a community that has been gentrified so, so fast. Um, and uh, right now we do have an eviction moratorium in Somerville, um, but it's a huge, huge issue. And we have a, we have a big homeless population in Somerville. Um, and just like we have, yeah, it's, it's such an important, it's such an important issue. And I think it's something that uh, when you're living in the Boston area, you see signs of it all around you. You see signs of gentrification all around you. Definitely agree. Um, it's interesting. I actually just left the Somerville area. Oh yeah. Um, I lived in Somerville too. And during the pandemic, one of the apartment buildings right up the street from us, there were people out there protesting because the landlord doubled the rent during a pandemic. Um, which they weren't supposed to do that anyway, because uh, Mayor Curatoni had said like, no, you can't increase like the rent, but somehow they got around that. Um, these are young people, like some are young professionals, some are students, and all of a sudden you're going to increase their rent uh, during a pandemic. And for those who don't know, rent is very expensive here. It's, mm -hmm. it's not just Boston, Somerville, Cambridge. I'm talking one bedrooms over $2,000 a month. And that may not even be a nice one bedroom, just to, just to be clear. So um, gentrification, the, the housing and gentrification here go together hand in hand because I feel like when I came to Boston like nine years ago, I met more people who lived in Boston that were from Boston. Mm. Now, I feel like a lot of people have been pushed out because they just can't afford the landlords continue to raise the rent because there are people coming in that will pay it. Mm -hmm. I've seen landlords like sell apartment buildings to people who say that they're going to build more, you know, affordable housing, but they put up a condo like mm -hmm. building. Um, so I feel like Massachusetts, like especially the Boston area, they have not they have not gotten a handle on that at all. I, I haven't seen the more affordable housing come in. They said they were going to do that. Mm -hmm. I continue to see like condos. And I was talking to someone about this recently in comparison to San Francisco, mm -hmm. about how San Francisco has these tent communities. Mm -hmm. And if something doesn't change with the housing issue in Boston, 
God forbid we're headed in that direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been actually involved in, um, in some organizing with a project called uh, Project Right to Housing in Cambridge uh, that is organized around uh, homelessness in Cambridge. And I think a lot of people, again, sort of goes with this idea of this uh, exceptionalism or this idea that like, we don't have these problems in Massachusetts. Uh, we're in a wealthy state, like we don't have these problems. Uh, there is a huge, huge uh, homeless population in Cambridge. Um, and just one of like, it's just been this really ridiculous fight to get basic, basic rights to housing uh, for, for uh, the unhoused community. So um, under, under the Biden administration, there's actually federal uh, funding through FEMA available for all like non-congregate shelters. Uh, so like allocating hotel rooms to unhoused people, there's completely 100% reimbursement. Uh, and even under Trump, there's a 75% reimbursement. And that's something that our cities have not done and have not taken advantage of. Uh, but I think overall, like, I don't know, I hold the firm, firm belief that housing is a human right. And when we treat something that is a human right, uh, like, <laughs> like a commodity, um, and when we treat it like this business, um, and don't ensure basic, basic protections to people, uh, that gets really, really dangerous when we start to prioritize profit and profit to landlords and developers uh, over the rights of people to stay in the community that they grew up in. Uh, or just to have a home, to have running water, um, to know their rights as a tenant. Uh, that is a really, really uh, big issue. Another thing on housing as well is that um, Massachusetts actually has a statewide ban on rent control. Uh, so that's something that, again, like coming from New Jersey, I was really shocked to find. Um, I like I just sort of took that for granted. There is rent control in my in my town that I grew up in. in New Jersey, but that is really a, allowed uh, rents to soar um, without really being checked, and is definitely definitely shows in cities like Somerville and Cambridge. Yeah, and and for people watching that don't know, we also don't have rent stability mm -hmm. in Boston either, and and that means that the landlords can increase the rent as much as they want, and at that point, your choice is to only move out and come up with the money to pay three months rent for another apartment or you just pay the rent you continue to pay like the, the rent increase so what we've seen like over years is people have gone further and further out to get cheaper rent and mm -hmm. that also affects their commute because now they have a longer commute to come in and and go to work when my mom came to visit me the first time and i took her to harvard square she was surprised to see so many homeless people at harvard and then the first thing she said was like all these homeless people, but but this is Harvard. This is like the number right. one university in the world. And I said, yeah, this is Harvard. Like what you're seeing right now, like what you see in the movies, what you see on TV shows when they show like Harvard, like, no, this is what it really is. Yes, there is a large homeless population in Harvard Square. Um, it's just the reality with everything that's happened with the cost of living. Yeah, I think it's this really striking just goes back to just this this really striking like uh, character uh, just quality of Massachusetts that you can have the wealthiest university in the country uh, and a huge homeless population right in the same city um, and just sort of the inequalities we see are really really gaping. Yeah. All right, Ella, I have one more question for you. All right, so for people who will see this and want to get involved with Act on Mass, what should they do? 
absolutely. Thank you for asking this question. So um, Act on Mass uh, is organizing right now. Our primary campaign is called Transparency is Power. And we are organizing around three rules reforms to make our state house more transparent. And I know like, I don't know, I, it can seem kind of like, I don't know, when there are all these issues affecting people, like why focus on like the rules of the state house? Uh, that was a question that I had coming into this campaign. When when we talk about all these critical, critical issues like housing and climate uh, and criminal justice reform. Uh, but I think what Act on Mass has done a really good job of connecting the dots on is that transparency is really like the condition for all of the progressive changes we want to see in our state. Because without being able to hold our representatives accountable, without being able to know how they vote, uh, we can't we can't win on progressive issues. And we've seen that uh, session after session. So uh, we have organized, uh, we've been joined by over 3000 constituents in over a hundred districts across Massachusetts, people from all over the state who have called um, their representatives, who have sent emails to their representatives, have met with their representatives over Zoom to demand more transparency. Um, and that's where I would love for people to get involved. So you can go to actonmass.org slash the dash campaign. Um, maybe you put that in text or something, uh, but, and sign up for our Transparency is Power campaign. Uh, it's been a really, really, really powerful campaign that I'm really excited about. That's going to bring some much needed uh, transparency to our state house. Awesome. Um, everyone, I'll be sure to put the link for Act on Mass in the description below. Ella, thank you so much for educating all of us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, really just a pleasure to talk about these issues. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Thanks for listening. You can watch the video of this podcast at Sabby Sab's channel on YouTube.